Now, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles or um, electronic devices or follow along the screens um, for the passage that Brown will be uh, delivering the message from today, um, first in John and then in Luke. We'll start off in John chapter 5, verses 37 through uh, 47. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have heard, his form, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the Lord, you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And now turn to Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should, su should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Brian Sorgan Fry, uh, one of the pastors. Really glad you're here. It's really fun to have college students uh, trickling back in. We hope you feel welcome. Uh, for the last half of the summer, uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the doctrine of Scripture. We've called it my strange Bible because what we're saying is uh, that sometimes the Bible can seem really strange because we don't know how it's supposed to be read and understood. And we've been looking and trying to say, okay, what is the Bible? How is it supposed to be read and understood? And we're going to finish our series this morning. Next week, we're going to start in Genesis by, by looking at the fact that the Bible is messianic literature. All right. So, even if you're a Star Wars geek like I am, uh, I actually discovered this not too recently, that um, some 40, you know, five years ago, Star Wars comes out in 1977. Preceding that by about six months, they actually produce a book based on the screenplay. It's called Star Wars from the Adventures of Luke Skywalker, trying to get people interested. Okay, so I want you to imagine that you're 1976 and you actually read that book. All right, and you think this is awesome. There's this guy living in this desert on Tatooine and there's this evil empire and there's all these Star Wars battles, all that kind of stuff, okay? So then you're excitedly discussing it with other friends. 
who have also read it, and you ask, hey, did you like the book? What if one of your friends says, ah, I didn't really like it. It didn't really seem to help me. You think that's kind of an odd response. So you inquire further. You say, what do you mean it didn't help you? And your friend says, well, I'd heard that this character, Luke, lives in the wilderness, in the desert. So I was hoping by reading it, I could kind of, you know, acquire some good wilderness survival skills. And by the time I finished, I still don't really know how to live in a desert. That's weird. And then, you know, your friend says this. I mean, I get that, like, Luke Skywalker is kind of this cool character, but, like, he's from a galaxy far, far away and a long time ago. I live in Oxford, 2022. I I just don't understand what he has to do with me. Okay, I realize that's that's a very bizarre conversation. But if that were to happen, like, what would your response be? I think it'd be fair to say that your response would, would say something like, I'm not sure you understand the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book was not to kind of give you wilderness survival skills. Yes, it's about Luke Skywalker, but the whole point is to be captured up into his story so that his story kind of captivates and you, you move into it. I think you could say that that person's dislike or confusion about Star Wars was because of a misplaced focus on the book. They were asking questions of the book that it wasn't made to answer, asking the story to be something it wasn't meant to be. And all I'm going to ask this kind of our last Sunday on, on Scripture is, what if some of our discomfort, even our dislike of the Bible, can stem from the fact that our approach to it is misguided, that we have a misplaced focus? So my friend Matt Howe, who much of this sermon, uh, credit for him, if you like it, you can, you can thank him. I'll give you his number. Um, he says there's, uh, there's, well, he said there's more, but there's three kind of common misplaced focus uh, that we have with the Bible, ways that we approach it. The first is sometimes we treat the Bible like it's a multivitamin. You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of the thing I, I, I kind of I get into me every morning and it makes me feel good. If I don't have it, I feel off. I don't know, like I don't have energy or good perspective. So, you know, and like vitamins, does it really work? I don't know, but it makes me feel good. Second of all, we can treat the Bible like it's an instruction manual. You know, if you're on your dashboard, it tells you that there's low tire pressure. And then you realize, I don't know how to get this light off of my my dashboard. So you have to bring out the instruction manual and figure out how to fix the problem. Well, all of us have tons of problems in our life. And so sometimes we bring out the Bible to to primarily, like, how do I fix my problems? How do I be a biblical grandparent? How do I, uh, you know, uh, educate my kids? Uh, you know, how do I manage money biblically? Or, you know, how am I supposed to go through rush and find a sorority that's for me biblically? Whatever, what I stand biblically on that. And it's, it's a misplaced focus. The third way we do it is we treat the Bible like it's a theological encyclopedia, or I like to say we treat it like we do Alexa, if you have Alexa, right? If I have a question, my kids asked me the other day, how do, snail, how do snails have shells? I got no idea. So I said, Alexa, how do snails have shells? Answer, shells come from snails eating calcium. Did you know that? I didn't know that. And this, this is how we approach it. Alexa, or Bible, help me with the problem of evil. Bible, did dinosaurs exist? 
Bible, uh, how deep has sin affected me? You know, what do I do about it? Again, those are fine questions and there's a place for that, but it's a misplaced focus. Because what's really interesting about the passage that uh, Gray read for us, uh, both the John passage and the Luke passage, Jesus is actually interacting with people who know the Bible, who love the Bible. And yet as he begins to talk to them, he gives his authoritative interpretation and, and shows us what the Bible is centrally about, what our focus should be. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at what is the Bible about? Oh, hey, I didn't have them on there this morning. That was my fault. What is the Bible about? Why do we struggle with the Bible's message? And how should we read the Bible? All right, so what, why, and how? First, what is the Bible about? Okay, the context of the John passage, Jesus has just healed a man on the Sabbath, which creates some controversy. And then he makes this claim that he is equal with God the Father. So he is God himself. Those are some very big claims. So the religious leaders get really angry and they start battering him with questions. And what we're doing is we drop down towards the end of this conversation because they are wanting him to prove that he is actually equal with God. They actually are trying to get rid of Jesus. And so Jesus responds to some evidences. First, he points to John the Baptist says, this is what John the Baptist said. Then in verse 37, 38, he starts talking about that my works, my miracles show that I've been sent by the Father. And then, right, verse 39, he actually points to Scripture. This is when he drops the hammer. He says, if you want proof that I'm equal to the Father, it's what Scripture says. And so listen, this This would have been a searing statement to people who prided themselves in knowing the Bible. He says this, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And then he goes on to tell them, right, this is verse 45 through 47, people who loved Moses, who loved the Torah, the books that Moses wrote, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And he says this, I'm I'm not going to accuse you before the Father. It's Moses who will. Because if you believed Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me, which that would have made them really angry. And the same thing happens in Luke 24. These disciples who are very familiar with the scriptures, they actually love Jesus. They're distraught because Jesus has died. They don't know he's resurrected. And the resurrected Jesus comes alongside them and takes them through the Bible study. And what it says he does is he walks through the law, the prophets and writings. So the whole Old Testament and shows them how every book, every theme, every character points forward to the Messiah, Greek words, the Christ, who is Jesus. So let me give a plug for the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. It is written for kids, but it'd be the best devotional book you've ever read if you've never read it. It, it might have taught me more than seminary. I'm not embarrassed to say that. Uh, and here's what it says in the opening two pages, okay? It says, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, a lot to do, telling what you should and shouldn't do. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing, but about God and what he has done. Other people think it's a book of heroes showing you, uh, showing you people that you should copy. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. And there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. Sally Lloyd-Jones crushes it. That is awesome. Because what Jesus said is that the message of the Bible is that it's about him. 
It's about the Messiah coming to save us, who is Jesus, what he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. So our friends at the Bible Project, here's how they sum it up. The story of the Bible and all its main themes come to their fulfillment in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and giving of the Spirit. So what is the Bible about? The Bible is about the Messiah who is Jesus. So if that's what the Bible is about, why do we struggle with the message? Because this is really interesting. Jesus is in conversation with people who love the Bible. Now, granted, they only have the Old Testament this time. They would have memorized it. They would have treasured it. They, they knew it better than most of us do. And yet Jesus in verse 39 says, you've missed it. Once you are reading the Bible who know it, miss Jesus who is standing in front of them. How that, can that be? And there's a little hint when he says, you search the scriptures because you, you think in them you have eternal life. That's a little hint at the heart of the religious leaders that they looked at the scriptures and they thought the way to be right with God, the way to stay safe is through my obedience. So one commentator says, the religion was human merit, seeking salvation through my performance. And so the, the leaders are arguing with Jesus. They have this meticulous view of scripture and of the law because they knew that they knew their problem was they needed to stay on God's good side. And the way to stay on God's good side is we've got to be good and we got to make sure all the, the people around us are good too. Keep obeying. In other words, they thought the way to be on God's good side was they had to be the heroes. Which means the struggle with scripture was not an information problem. And I don't, it's usually not for us, it could be, but it's actually a heart problem. Because they read the Bible as if it's primarily about them. And so do we. We tend to read the Bible self-absorbed as if it's about me. So I was listening to a podcast, uh, This American Life, and they were interviewing a guy who was trying to make it as an actor. And he was telling the story about when he hadn't quite broken through to make it big, but he had started showing up in like a few commercials and he even made it on a few t TV shows. And so he's walking down the street in Los Angeles and these girls see him and ask him for a picture. He's like, awesome. You know, he's flattered. He walks, across the, he walks across the street. He stands with them on either side, gets ready for the picture with the mom holding the camera. And, and it just feels awkward. And the mom is looking at her and all of a sudden it realized they had no idea who he was. They were asking him to take their picture with their mom. <laughs> and so he was laughing and just kind of sheepishly got out, you know, and took their picture. And it was this, you know, hilarious thing where a person thought I was the spotlight and he totally missed it and it threw things off. And see, the reason that most of us struggle with the Bible being about Jesus and his authority and his person and his work is because we want to be the hero of our own stories. We want to we be in the spotlight because we have this disease in us called sin. And what sin does, Martin Luther said this, the old theologian, it curves us in on ourselves. Instead of us facing outward and looking at God and looking at other people, it curves us in so that all we do is think about ourselves. As if I'm the center of the story, as if everything is about me. So what Jesus does, he kindly rebukes the religious leaders to show them that the Bible's about himself. 
Because he says, if you don't see that, you'll miss me. But then verse 44, look at this. He says, how that manifests itself. If, if, if life is just about me and the Bible's about me, here's what we'll end up doing. We'll just seek the glory and praise from other people rather than from God. So this is what Jesus is saying. If I use the Bible to kind of prop myself up so that I can, so I can get praise from other people, Jesus says, we'll actually miss him. So think about it. If I read the Bible like a theological dictionary, like it's a Lexus, so I can have the answers so that, so that I never get caught not knowing anything, so that other people think that I'm smart, you, honestly, you'll get the praise of others. There'll be certain people in certain circles uh, that'll come to you. You'll be respected. They'll ask you questions. And your, your kind of ability to articulate theology of the Bible will bring a lot of respect. But see, if the Bible is there to prop me up, to make me look like I've got the answer so other people praise you, Jesus is saying, you will miss me. You will miss the sweetness of a Messiah who came to seek and save the lost. You'll miss the one who is the answer himself, who is perfect theology. His name is Jesus. And he came for those who cannot make sense of their life. He came for those who don't have all the answers and still can't figure it out. And what's interesting is that our, our felt superiority to those people that don't have our theology shows that we've missed Jesus. Second, if you read the Bible primarily as an as a instruction manual to kind of figure out how to live, how to be good, how to be a better parent, I don't know, how to educate your kids, how to engage in healthy conflict, fill in the blank. Yes, it probably will make other people look up to you. It'll probably gather people's praise. They'll notice you. They'll ask questions. They'll realize you're doing life well. But you'll miss Jesus. God in the flesh, the Messiah who came to rescue not good people, not people who have it all together, but bad people. Not people who know how to educate their kids or have a healthy conflict, but people who are like, I think I need to repent to my kids because I don't know what I'm doing and I need wisdom. And what ends up showing us that we've missed Jesus is when we see other people's faults more than our own. Because if the focus is I, how I live rightly, then guess what? I quickly become aware, aware of those who don't. And people who are struggling don't feel close to you. People who don't educate their kids like you do uh, feel distant from you. Uh, people who struggle with different sins than you feel like they can't come to you. Because for you, the good people are in and the bad people are out. And so we, we, we struggle with the Bible because the Bible points us to Jesus, the one that we all need. So what is the Bible? The Bible is about Jesus. We struggle with it because I've got this thing in me called sin that makes me self-absorbed. So how then should we read the Bible? What would it look like to read the Bible in a Messiah-centered way or a Christ-centered way, right? That's the same word. Again, look at Luke 24, how awesome this would have been that Jesus, after he's resurrected, spends time with these disciples and it says he just walks through the Old Testament, the law of the prophets and writings themes, characters, and shows that it's all been about Christ and his suffering and his life and his resurrection, which means he helped them see that the Bible is made to be read and heard and understood as pointing to Jesus. 
How do we do that? And there's no way we can go that in depth. We're, we're going to do a quick Bible study together, okay? So to, lead, to, to, to listen to and read the Bible in the correct way involves asking the right questions, right? If you ever read Harry Potter, so well, it's kind of okay if you haven't. Um, if you read Harry Potter and you ask the question, how do I play Quidditch? If that's what you're trying to figure out, that's a magical game in Harry Potter. You will, you will be frustrated. There, you might glean some things about Quidditch, but you're not going to know everything because that's a bad question. So what are questions I can ask that helps me read the Bible correctly? This is coming from my friend from Brian Habig. There are two questions you can always ask. It doesn't matter whether you're reading Leviticus or Psalms or the prophets. You can always ask these two questions. Ready? First, what does this passage show me about humanity and our need to be rescued and redeemed by God through Jesus? That's the first question. What, what does this passage show me about me and humanity and our need to be rescued by God through Jesus' his death, life, resurrection? Again, it starts out about me, but really it's pointing me to the posture of Jesus. And second of all, what does this passage show me about God and how he loves to rescue and redeem through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and the giving of his spirit? That's the second question. What does this passage show me about God and how he loves to rescue and redeem through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the giving of his spirit? If you ask those two questions of any passage, it'll keep the train tracks guiding you in the right direction of how Jesus said it's supposed to be read. It might take hard work. Sometimes it does, but it's there. So look, we're going to do a quick Bible study. I promise it's going to be quick. Um, let's take Esther, all right? The book of Esther, it's okay if you're not familiar with it. She is a Jewish queen who ends up marrying the king of Persia. And the king of Persia ends up signing off on this wicked law that is going to uh, persecute and kill all the Jewish people, all of God's people in that land. And so in an incredibly courageous and heroic and sacrificial moment, Esther risks her life appearing before the king on behalf of her people and saves them. That's the story of Esther. Okay, if the Bible is primarily about me and what I'm doing and I'm the hero, here's the takeaway. Man, that's what our culture needs. We need more courageous men and women to stand up against this crazy culture, to stand for truth, to protect people because this culture is losing their mind. Who's gonna step up? And there's, look, there's good principles there. But notice the hope, the message is we've got to get it together. Which means I've read the Bible like it's about me. But let's ask the, other, let's ask the two questions. What does this passage show me about humanity and myself and our need to be rescued and redeemed by God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? Oh, I guess Esther isn't first about me because Esther seems to be the hero. I guess I'm the Jewish people. I'm the person who has a death sentence over my head and I can't do anything about it. I guess I'm captured by sin and the wages of sin is death and I can't do anything about my condition. I can't fix myself. I need a redeemer. I need Jesus. So what does the passage tell, show me about God and how he loves to redeem and rescue through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus? Esther saved people by risking her life. It was incredibly courageous, incredibly brave. She interceded for them. 
But that's a small picture. That's a small taste of Jesus who doesn't just risk his life. He gives his life on a cross and goes all the way into death and comes out in resurrection. Why? To remove the death sentence over my head, which is my sin and my condemnation. Jesus is the better Esther. Are you sensing any difference? It's the same text, but it's just different. Will that end up making you a person of courage and integrity? Yes, but not because it's about you, because it's about Jesus. It's a courage that gets brought to you from a savior who stood in your place, who loved you so much that he took what you and I deserved. It's transformation by grace and it creates a, creates a life of gratefulness to Jesus, not trying to step up and prove yourself. So again, that's all we can do. We can't go into a ton, ton of uh, depth, but hopefully those two questions, I, they get you started, hopefully. Which means if I ever come to a passage, all right, and somehow I can't eventually get to the main storyline that finds its fulfillment in Jesus, the Messiah, I have not understood it correctly. So one, one commentator said, any study of the Bible that is not preoccupied with Jesus, the Messiah, it's a misplaced Bible study. Think about that. Any study of the Bible that is not preoccupied with Jesus, the Messiah, it is a misplaced Bible study. That's really fascinating. So let me conclude by, by kind of asking this. Do you see if the Bible is messianic literature, why it's actually good news? Because that means that the Bible is fundamentally about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and his sending of the spirit. It means when you read the Bible, when you study it, when you hear it, you are actually encountering Jesus. Now that's good news because verse 40 just said that Jesus is the one with eternal life. He's life itself. Does reading the Bible enable you to know yourself better? Yes. Does it have implications for you? Yes. But it flows out of an encounter with Jesus. That's our hope. That he's the one who is perfect. So I don't have to be. That he's the hero who is extraordinary. So it frees me to be ordinary and keep struggling with sin. It points to him. If it points to him, then grace is at the center. His love, his patience, his kindness, his work is what supremely matters. I can decrease and he can increase is what John the Baptist said. So I'll end with this. And this, I, I greatly revere Harry Potter, so I'm not going to ruin it for you. But if, you, uh, if you've read or seen Harry Potter number two, as Chamber of Secrets, again, I will not ruin it, but there's this magical diary. All right, it's Tom Riddle's diary. Harry finds it, and then Jenny Weasley ends up with it. Here's what's interesting about this diary. It has blank pages, but whenever she writes in it, it writes back and it starts answering her. And so the more and more that she opens herself to this diary, she starts writing things about herself and writing, you know, things that she'll share with nobody else. It writes back. It draws her in. And by the end, what you've begun to realize is she's not just interacting with a book. She's actually interacting with a person behind the book and a relationship is forming. You see, when we're told that the Bible is messianic literature and actually, it's actually God's word, what that means is when you open yourself to the Bible through singing, through praying, through listening, through reading, you are opening yourself to the person of Jesus. And you will find that as you draw near to him, he is actually already drawn near to you. He's here to rescue. 
He's the one who loves to forgive, who loves to transform. He loves to be with you, which means the Bible, it's, it's not primarily a vitamin pill. It's not primarily an instruction manual or, or an Alexa app or whatever. It might do some of those things, but if you see it as leading you to the person of Jesus, there is life because there's transformation and grace and forgiveness because you're, interaction, you're interacting with the person of Jesus who is drawn near, who loves you, who redeems you, who gives you a spirit and will bring you all the way home. My question is, does that make you a little curious? A little. Does it make you at all want to read scripture to find Jesus? Because that's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. It really is a gift. You've not left us alone, but you have spoken to us and revealed yourself to us through the Bible. And we praise you for coming after us in this way. And even more so, Father, we thank you for sending the word become flesh, Jesus, who is the proof and guarantee that you are the triune God that loves to rescue, that loves to redeem. So we pray that as this church, we'd be Bible people because we desperately need you. Help us to immerse ourselves in your words so that we can know Jesus better and revel in your amazing grace. Amen.